Open your Bibles, please. Romans chapter 1. And I hope you have your thinking caps on. Today we are going to study, we're moving along, Romans chapter 1. And we are almost past these introductory verses in the text, if you will. We're going to get to some meat very, very, very soon. It is my hope that next week we'll be talking about uh, depravity of man. Sin. And what it actually <coughs> has done in our lives. Wow, this cough. I can't believe it. <clears throat> Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter... We're going to begin with verse 8. And the theme for these next particular verses that we're going to be looking at here today is thanksgiving. Last week we talked about the, those... Those first introductory verses, um, it was a salutation on a part of uh, Paul the Apostle to the church um, there at Rome. And this week we're going to talk just a little bit about Thanksgiving. Um, but by way of recap, <clears throat> I want to share just two things with you, just to, just to get you on the same page with me this morning. Number one, Romans is regarded as the most comprehensive and systematic summary of Christian doctrine anywhere in Scripture. Almost everything that we need to know about Christianity, almost everything that we can learn about Christianity is found right here in this letter to the Romans. The second thing I want to share with you by way of recap is the question that I posed to you last week. What does Paul set out to accomplish by this letter? Uh, And the answer to this question of course, speaks to the heart of the book or its main theme or its thesis. And the verses that we shared last week are found in 16 and 17. I'm not going to go over them right now because we're going to discuss them um, here today. But the point is that in the gospel, in this book, Paul emphasizes the, the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is the good news? The, the good news of God, right? This This wonderful opportunity that God has opened up to you and I, to all of mankind, to actually know Him personally and intimately. That is, that God has opened up an avenue by which mankind can indeed be saved. Brent, can you go on my desk? Can you get my glasses? On the left drawer. Thank you. Romans 8. Look at Romans 8. Let's read that. (laughs) Boy, if I can see it. It says, first, I thank, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So this first speaks to the theme that we're going to entertain here for a few moments. And that theme again is thanksgiving. He takes the time to thank the church. And he says, because their faith has been proclaimed throughout the world. Now, I, I looked that up just a little bit because I was curious. Was it just a, a, an empty general thanksgiving? Was it just a cliche? Did he really mean it? Was there any substance behind that reference? Because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. And indeed, um, according to Paul, there was a lot of substance attached to that. Think in terms of the number one The fact that they were holding on to a faith that was unique 
to the Romans. That was actually unique to that particular region. Um, and so my response to you here is twofold. Number one, the gospel was, pre- was spreading because of their faithfulness. Listen to this. Can you imagine adopting values of a new religion in the midst of the religious paganism that existed and actually devoting yourself to living it out? So Rome was riddled with a whole lot of paganism. We're going to go along. We're going to address uh, or point out just some of those things. But Rome was, was filled with a whole lot of paganism. And for the gospel to be introduced in that land by, it wasn't Paul the Apostle, some others introduced the gospel to that land. But just think in terms of receiving the gospel in a setting just like that, where there's so much paganism. The tradition was anything but the gospel in that land. And so it was difficult. Let me put it this way, personalize it. I was born and raised as a Catholic, right? And when somebody took the time to share Christianity with me for the very first time, check that. For the first few times in my life, I really didn't want, I, I really didn't want to hear it. I wanted nothing to do with anything that contradicted the religion of my birth, right? Once a Catholic, always a Catholic. How many heard that before? Right? Yet we lived by that philosophy. And so it was very difficult for me to accept anything that was contrary to the religion of my birth. Say, as a Puerto Rican, we were traditionally Catholics. And so it was difficult for me. But think in terms of this one particular nation and all the paganism that existed in that land. And if you want the backstory to this, look, read the book of Acts. Because Paul the, uh, Luke, rather, the physician, he talks about this transition in many ways. We're going to look into that in a few moments. Here's a quote for you. <clears throat> the religions of ancient Rome date back many centuries, and over time it grew increasingly diverse. As different cultures settled in what would later become Italy, each brought their own gods and forms of worship. This made the religion of ancient Rome polytheistic in that they worshipped many gods. And they also worshipped spirits. They also worshipped spirits. The second point concerning this particular verse is that their reputation was also due to the level of persecution they were actually experiencing. The level of persecution. And here's a quote from the book of Acts concerning the Jews. Not necessarily concerning the persecution Christians were experiencing, but concerning the Jews. You might want to write this down from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. The year was 49 A.D. Quote, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius Caesar had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So in A.D. 49, Claudius Caesar commanded all the Jews to leave. So there was a persecution um, of the Jews and also of the Christians. According to the Dallas Baptist University, by the year 325, an estimated 2 million Christians were killed for their faith in Rome. So when Paul's announcing this, listen, I'm thankful to God because of your reputation. It precedes you. 
he was referring to this persecution they were actually experiencing as well. And some years later, the Colosseum was built in A.D. 80. In A.D. 80. So not during the time when he wrote this letter. But just think. Just think of the level of persecution in Rome alone after the Colosseum was built. Millions of Christians were slaughtered in the Colosseum. Read with me verses 9 and 10. It says, For God is my witness, to whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He says, I am always praying for you, and I long to see you. Listen to this. In 1906, James Fraser was studying engineering at Imperial College in London. Later, he became a legend as, quote, Fraser of Lysulin because of his frontier evangelism and church planting in the Union province of China. So this man in the early 1900s actually was called by God. He responded to God's call. He left the pastorate and he went over to the Union province, Union province in China because God called them to evangelize the Chinese people. And listen to something that he says. And by the way, the turning point for this man was it, that, was that in college he read a two-penny pamphlet with these two sentences. This is what turned his heart toward evangelism. Quote, If our master returned today to find millions of people unevangelized and looked, as of course he would look, to us for an explanation, I cannot imagine what explanation we should have to give. Of one thing I am certain, that most of the excuses we are accustomed to make with such good conscience now, we shall be wholly ashamed of then. He was never able to escape the power of these sentences. And God gave him a holy ambition to reach the lost in China. This is amazing what this man actually set out to do. And this, this man, Frazier, he actually was responsible. History records that he led untold tens of thousands of people to Christ in China alone because he responded to the call. And think in terms of Paul's thankfulness to God for these Romans because of their faithfulness, number one, and because of the persecution that he knew they were enduring in Rome. These are some of the things, just some of the things that he was referring to. And I praise God for that. Listen to this, Psalms 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Verse 11 reads, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, to strengthen you. 
For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He was saying he wanted to allow the Holy Spirit to impart gifts for their spiritual well-being. Has this changed in any way in our lifetime? Not, not really. We may not necessarily use the language imparting. We may not necessarily use the language of laying on of hands to impart gifts. That is, of course, what Paul the Apostle was referring to. He wanted to be a blessing to the Romans. They were enduring lots of sacrifice, lots of persecution. And he wanted to impart gifts upon them by the Holy Spirit for the enhancement of their faith. How many of you can say with assurance that during your time here as a member, as a visitor, as a friend, as an acquaintance, somehow, some way, God has enhanced your faith in spite of what you've, what you've been enduring in your life? How many of you can attest that, that because of your presence here, hearing the Word of God, singing the songs of worship, God has, some, has done something amazing in your life? Amen. Now, think of what God can do in your life and what He can do in our lives when we live out our faith with more intentionality. How God is, in fact, looking to bless us through God's people here in our midst. And Paul was saying, I'm longing, I'm longing, longing to come see you because I want to pray with you, because I want to lay hands on you. The idea... For you and I, that is, is to learn how to confide in the Holy Spirit as He enhances His work through our lives. Read with me verse 12. He says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by, by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He says, he says that we may be mutually encouraged. Look with me. At the next verse as well. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. It sounds a little bit like the televangelists nowadays, huh? That are preaching and they, they, they have an ulterior motive. You know, if you send me a hundred dollars, I'm going to send you this blessing. If you send me a thousand dollar seed, I'm going, to, I'm going to bestow a major blessing upon you. As elders or the leaders, of the leaders of the church, we're going to pray for you. And God's blessing is going to abound in your life. Imagine that. Is that what Paul was alluding to? No, 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 no. In no way, shape or form. He had no such ulterior motive. He was genuine in his faith. Paul knew the situation. Therefore, he wanted to involve himself in their lives. This passage actually serves to encourage us to denounce our independence from one another. It encourages us to denounce our independence from one another and to live for one another just as Paul desired to live for the Romans. Paul was willing to sacrifice everything just to get to Rome. And he makes mention that, listen, I apologize. Essentially, he says, I apologize that I haven't been able to get there to you yet. I don't want you to think that I've been dismissive. I don't want you to think that it's been my will or desire not to come to see you. 
Quite to the contrary, I want to be a blessing to you. I actually want to lay hands on you and impart gifts, but I want us to mutually be encouraged in the things that pertain to God. He was talking about his support group. He was talking about wanting to really be there with him to encourage them in the faith. I don't know about you, but when I come here to church, I'm encouraged every time. It never fails that when I come to church, I'm encouraged when I'm in the presence of God's people. Somebody once said, the family that prays together, the family that prays together stays together. And when we collaborate just like this, notwithstanding our differences. And Paul mentions that to some degree. It's inferred from the passage, but we have to make note of it because it is in fact noteworthy. When we come together like this as God's people, we need to be mindful of the fact that we are family members of one body. And therefore, it is our responsibility to be as, as encouraging as we possibly can to one another. If I'm the hand, one of you is the foot, right? There are things that I cannot do without you. There are things that we, we cannot do without each other. That's just a fact. Isn't it true? Right? It's a fact. So we need one another. And so when we learn how to collaborate with one another like that, learn how to denounce some of our differences, learn how to denounce some of the things that serve principles, even in the church, yes, principles that actually foster cliques within the church. Does that exist within the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. Clicks exist within the church. But if we learn how to recognize those things and denounce those things, we can collaborate better and achieve God's mission for our lives. These are some of the things that Paul was alluding to. Ecclesiastes 4.12. One of my favorite verses. How many times have you heard it? Probably a half a dozen times. But I'm going to, I'm going to share it again like a broken record. One standing alone can be attacked and defeated but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three is even better because a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This was Paul's intention. I know what you're going through. I'm, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm not there yet because I've been hindered. I've been obstructed in some way. And we're going to talk about that. But I want to go because I want to participate with you in your suffering and everything else that you are enduring. Verse 13, he says... I have often wanted to come to you. We read that already. He was seeking to legitimately excuse himself. Some may have thought he was dismissing them. The truth was he had been hindered from visiting them. And let me tell you, the, ba- the passage here does not tell us explicitly how he was hindered. What happened in that particular season of his life that did not allow him to actually make Rome when he wanted to. We don't know explicitly, but I'm going to jump ahead. There's some, of the th- some things that are mentioned in the 15th chapter. Don't turn there because I'm going to mention just three things. Some things are mentioned in the 15th chapter of this book. that give us perhaps a glimpse into what may have hindered him. Number one is the fact that during his missionary journeys, and this, by the way, was during the end of his third missionary journey. But during his missionary journeys, Paul was collecting an offering from all the churches and from all the regions. Why? Anybody tell me why? Because of the need that existed in Jerusalem. 
and the Christians that were hungry, literally hungry in Jerusalem. So he was collecting an offering and Romans chapter 15 gives us the idea that, that perhaps in his mind he knew he had to go to someplace else first. He didn't know it. Even, even if it wasn't for the contribution that he had for the, for, the, for, the, for the Christians in Jerusalem, he had to go there anyway because he was going to be imprisoned, which is the second reason. He didn't know that, but he was going to be imprisoned. And according to Acts, write this down if you want, Acts chapters 22 through 26, we find out that there was a, another purpose as to why Paul could not make it to Rome when he wanted to. He had to witness, Acts 22 tells us that he had to witness to a multitude. Acts 23 talks about the fact that in Jerusalem, he had to witness to the entire Sanhedrin. Anybody know what the Sanhedrin was? Is the Jewish governing body. He had to go to Jerusalem, excuse me, to deliver money, to witness to a multitude, to witness to the Sanhedrin. And according to Acts 24 and 25, he had to boldly testify his faith before two Roman rulers. How many remember that confrontation, that dialogue between Paul and Justice? Or Paul, or not Justice, Festus. What a name, Festus. Must have been festing a lot with a whole lot of junk over there, huh? He, how many of you remember his, his dialogue with Felix? It also happened in Jerusalem. And how about his defense of the Christian faith directly in front of King Herod Agrippa II? Who actually says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Those things were necessary. He didn't know it. But this is the will of God. And these are perhaps just some of the things... That hindered him from going to Rome. Verse 13b, the latter half of the verse, it actually gives, it actually says that I may reap some harvest among you. That I may reap some harvest among you. Hmm. Was he talking about financial gain? No, not at all. According to Paul, Christianity is about an eternal hope. And that's what Paul had on his sights. He said himself that he was indebted to God to preach the gospel. He wanted to go to Rome because he wanted to be a blessing to the Christians there. 14 and 15. It says, I am under obligation. Here it is. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. Both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to, to you also who are in Rome. He was indebted to Jesus Christ. Would you say Paul the Apostle was guilty of killing Christians once upon a time? Yes. Would you say that Paul the Apostle was guilty of imprisoning Christians? Abusing Christians in many ways. And so when he got saved... He really got saved. And according to the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life, Paul made it a point to absolutely consecrate himself to the service of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So in these two verses, he gives us an idea about his motivation. He was referring to his duty. You talking about work ethics? The best employees are those who show up to work in spite of the low pay they are receiving, and they commit themselves to doing everything the boss requires of them, and then some, because it's the right thing to do. And those are the employees that get promoted quickly, aren't they not? No? Somebody sounds like somebody's being has been overlooked. Listen, we can make a call to your employer. Who's that? Um, Tim, make note of that. You've got to make a phone call to an employer. <laughs> Let's go on. I hate that clock. Look at, um, we've got to narrow this down. Look at, look at verses 16, 16 and 17 with me. And these are the verses that actually represent the theme or the thesis, if you want to use that word, of the entire letter of Paul to the Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He begins these verses by saying, I am not ashamed. And of course, this has to be understood in the context with the preceding verses that we just finished talking about, about wanting to go to Rome, that the gospel had to be delivered. I'm not ashamed. I don't know what the statistics are. But the world refers to you and I as minorities, not minorities, but minorities in that there are more of them than there are of us. Society really doesn't want Judeo-Christian values. In fact, society today is regurgitating our Judeo-Christian values in every way, shape and form. And Paul the Apostle, in this one particular verse, he was saying, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the naysayers, in spite of the fact that the world is looking into the church and despising us, despising the church, and wanting us to denounce our values, our beliefs, our principles, in spite of that, he's saying, I am not ashamed. How many of you... Have ever found yourself in one of those really difficult situations? Perhaps at work, perhaps at a friend's house, perhaps in a supermarket, in a store, in a library, anywhere. And you were sort of compelled to either defend your faith, perhaps not in some comprehensive way, but defend your faith nonetheless. And to identify publicly with Jesus Christ or denounce the idea, the fact that you are a Christian. Have you ever been there before? Mm. You're in denial. I know every single one of us have been in a situation like that. Right or wrong? I think all of us have been. I have. I have. And early in my walk with the Lord, it wasn't easy to identify with Jesus, especially in a crowd of non-believers. Some of my friends in college. 
while we were off on the block and they were doing their thing, right? It, it, early on, it was difficult because I had to walk with a chip on my shoulder. I had, to, I, had to, I had to put that mean face on from time to time so that I wasn't taken advantage of. It was very difficult in the, in the very beginning. But then, after, say, a few months, I made up my mind. You know what? Come hell or high water, I'm going to stand up for my faith. Today, I'm going to declare, like Paul the Apostle, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know, do you not know that we can make a huge difference in society today when we stand up for our faith? And it doesn't have to be in a direct way. God is not, Jesus is not challenging us to be overtly Christian all the time. You don't have to go out there and announce something or declare something in the presence of some unbelieving group or family members or friends. All you have to do is live out your faith. Know what you can do versus what you cannot do. And stand up and make a decision. The world is looking right or wrong. The world is looking on the inside, looking inward to the church with binoculars even, with a microscope. And they're looking for a reason. They're looking for you and I to support the reason for the hope that we have within us. They don't know it. But they're looking for a reason to cling to or to be drawn to the things of faith just like you and I. Right or wrong? I know that's not, that, that was my perspective when I was an unbeliever. Yes, I, I criticized them. Yes, I persecuted them in, in, some, ba- in some bad ways. Right? But because I possess a conscience, we've, I've always possessed a conscience. Don't you have a conscience? There isn't a soul on the planet today who doesn't have a conscience. We all do. In spite of our sin, we are always reaching for a reason for some hope. Always, always, always. Because God created us in His image. And we have this spiritual, this inclination for spiritual things. And if we don't look to God for these spiritual um, resolutions, then we're going to look for them, or rather accept the offer the enemy makes to us. Right or wrong? The, the enemy is always offering his, his dainties, his, his sweeties, his sweeties. And more often than not, people are, are grabbing a hold of those things. Yes, I like that. I like the way it looks, the way it sounds, the way it feels. But I think as God's people, we have to take a stand. Especially in this generation. Right or wrong? This is not 50 years ago when they could have definitively said, you know what, we're not necessarily in the last days yet. There's certain indications in prophecy, these things that haven't been fulfilled yet. This is for the people 50 years ago. But today, can we say with certainty that we're living in the last days? I don't know about you, but I, I declare it because I know. Just think of the nation of Israel and its founding, its establishment. Think of what's happening in, the, in, in, in Europe with the formation of the, um, the European Union. Think of the fact that there are no borders per se anymore. You, don't, you can go from one nation to the other without a passport nowadays in Europe. That wasn't the case 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But it is today. What does the book of Daniel say in terms of the revised Roman Empire that will, that will take place in the last days? I see the signs, and it's happening in our lifetime. In our lifetime. So like never before, you and I as Christians need to stand up and identify with Jesus. And declare with Paul the Apostle, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, for it is the... He goes on to say that it is the power of God. The Greek word for power is dunamis. Now picture yourself, we're in California, right? How many remember the gold rush? I know you weren't alive then, right? I know, I, I know. So, so, Dave, you're not... You're not you remember the gold rush? Okay, some, some of our members may remember the gold rush, right? It was a very long time ago. But think in terms of the gold rush and how people flocked here from all over the world, essentially, right? They wanted to look for gold. And they found gold in the creeks and the rivers and the mountains in lots of different places. But when the superficial stuff was gleaned already, if we can use that word, they had to use extracurricular means to gain access to the gold. Uh, dynamite had not been invented yet. But black powder was. I looked this up, by the way, Polly. I looked this up. I didn't want to go say something that wasn't true. Um, dynamite had not been invented, but black powder was. There's a, there's a difference between the two. That's an assignment. Google that a little bit later. And so they, they were using black powder to, to, to open the earth, if you will. Minute explosions. So that they can gain access to gold underneath the surface. And so they did that. And I was reading that. And it was like extraordinary. Think about that power and relate it to the power that exists in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right or wrong? There's power to transform, to revolutionize, to deliver. One day somebody shared the gospel. He wasn't radical. He wasn't a Pentecostal. He, he just simply spoke words of life. I heard, and there was an explosion taking place on the inside of me. Paul the Apostle said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. You and I possess something glorious on the inside. If you know the word of God, all you have to do is open your mouth. At the very least, live out what you know to be true and somebody's life can be affected for the better. Yes? Amen? He says, for the, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, look with me, the verse 17. It says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteousness of God is revealed how? According to the gospel. It's revealed by the gospel. Faith is the means by which, but the gospel presents the opportunity for the righteousness of God to come alive on the inside of every single one of us. The gospel is the secret to the Christian believer, to the Christian life. Just think of that. The righteousness of God is applied to everyone who hears and accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To everyone who hears the gospel, says yes and amen to Jesus Christ and gets saved immediately, instantaneously, not over time, immediately the righteousness of God is applied. And immediately, if you die the moment thereafter, is a one-way ticket to heaven. Immediately, the righteousness of God is applied. What does that mean? Well, we're out of time.
<laughs> no, we're going we're gonna to look at that in, in, the, in, the, um, in the following chapters. But just think about that. Think about what you have access to because you know Jesus. His righteousness has been applied to your life. And today, if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. Because of what Jesus Christ endured for you and I long ago. Stand with me. I think next week we're going to start getting into, well, you know what? That's not next week. It's the following week because there's a pastor's retreat this weekend that I am attending. Let's pray. Buy your hands with me. Father, we thank you so much for these words of life. And Father, I know that sometimes it's difficult to come in here to settle, settle ourselves to the point of being patient and listening. We got so much going on in our lives. Some sleepless nights. Lots of difficulties in our lives. And we come into a setting like this when we're seemingly required to quiet our souls and our spirits and listen attentively to your word being presented. And it's not always easy to do it. But I pray, Father God, for the grace that we need so that when we come into a setting just like this, we are eager, we are vigilant to hear whatever it is you have to say to us as individuals and as a body of believers. Today you have spoken to us. You have shared some things from Paul's heart concerning the Romans how he was thankful for their faithfulness. And how he was longing to be a part of them. He wanted to visit with them. But because of your will for his life, you made sure that he had to take a trip over to Jerusalem. Where he was eventually imprisoned and ultimately killed for his faith. Father, help us to apply these, these, these principles, these truths to our lives. In the same way that Paul the Apostle was committed to visiting the Romans and partaking with them, how is it we as your people today, Lord God, ought to desire to participate with one another, Lord? Help us, Father God, to humble ourselves, to denounce certain things, and to look to one another, Father, for encouragement, for strength, support, especially when we're mourning our dear sister Evelyn, Father God, in her time of mourning right now. Are we faithful, Lord God, as a congregation? Are we touching base with her? Have we visited her? Have we called upon her to see if she needs something? Oh, it's difficult to say these things, Lord God. But I pray, Father, that you may break down the differences that exist between us. That you may destroy the barriers that separate us from one another, be it skin color or anything else for that matter. And that we may learn to support one another and love one another as Paul loved the church in Rome. We thank you so much for these concluding verses, 16 and 17. 
the thesis of the book of Romans. You have given us the opportunity to know you personally and intimately because of your righteousness in Christ Jesus. Father, we love you for it. I pray your blessings on your people as they go, as we go our separate ways. May your favor be with us, Father God, as we venture out to enjoy the rest of this Memorial Day weekend. We pray, Father God, for our service members, Father God, military personnel, even the maintenance people, the secretaries, everybody that's enlisted and former military personnel, like the ones we have here in our midst. May you bless them, Father God, as they go. May you be with them all in a special way. And we thank you so much for the freedoms we enjoy here in this great country. These things we give you the honor and glory for, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, one more time, God's people say, Amen. amen. God bless you guys.